This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Uh, this show um, is kind of uh, starts on sort of a sad note. Um, it's not a terribly sad note because, well, I'll get into it. It's sad in that uh, the world of skepticism, and you know, this show has been, you know, predicated on the idea that I'm a skeptic, and we're on this internet radio station called Z Talk Radio that is primarily pro-paranormal, and I'm the thorn in the side. Um, I stick out like a sore thumb. I'm the red-headed stepchild. <laughs> I come on and, and don't believe a lot of the claims on here. And let me tell you something, kids. Um, I don't catch any of the new shows that are on now, I'm sorry. But uh, back in the day, I used to catch a lot, a lot more of them. I just had more time, I guess. And... Um, when I get into the chat room on a Saturday night uh, before my show airs at 11 p.m. Central, just after 11 p.m. Central, and when I'm you know, getting things prepared, I'll, I'll put on whatever the audio is, is happening. On. And all, quite often it's a past show of mine that's on, or it could be Big Picture Science, which follows Dimland Radio every week. Two episodes of Big Picture Science follows after I finish my blathering for an hour and so, or an hour, whatever it works out to be. Uh, and then, but sometimes, sometimes, I hear some of the old shows. They get Somehow they get r rotated through. There was a show on, on Z Talk some time back called uh, you know The Man Who Talks to Angels, some guy named Ronald something. It just I you know, for me, I just I couldn't listen to that show. I just I couldn't. I mean the host of the, there was a, there's two hosts. There's this fellow and a gal, and you know her name because her her name is Robin, and because he's he would say the name Robin every chance he got. Well, Robin, I'm so... And he talked like that, too. Well, Robin, on this show this week, Robin, that's such a great question, Robin. You know, I, oh, God, he's just... Ugh, it was not for me. And then sometimes, you know, uh, yeah, uh, uh, what will happen on occasion, when I get in on Saturday night in the, into the chat room and just kind of getting things, make sure everything's set up, sometimes the server for ZTalk has gone askew and I have to restart it and when he restarted it starts grabbing those old shows 
and I'll I'll skip through them. So, oh God, get get to one of my shows. Get to one of the big picture signs so I can listen to it and not feel annoyed. And there was an old UFO classified show on here, and uh, you just listen to some of them, and it's just the incredulity uh, of the shows was incredible. It was hard to believe. Just how gullible, I'm sorry, and how unskeptical some of the old shows that I that I hear bits and pieces of now, even today, how they, how just non-skeptical they were. They just they just wide-eyed accepted everything they were told. <laughs> it's just like okay, as long as it's against the standard model explanation of the world. They're down with it, even if it's contradictory, paranormal-type stuff, supernatural-type stuff. Uh, even if it's contradictory, as long as it contradicts the, uh, the, the, the narrative, the main, you know, the reality, let's put it that way. As long as it contradicts that, it's fine. And anyway, so Dimland Radio doesn't always focus on the skeptical. Uh, I do say at the end of each show, be skeptical and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, which is true. That's You do need extraordinary evidence for those extraordinary claims. And, and maybe just my general dimness, <laughs> whatever makes me Dr. Dim, uh, has that skeptical feel to it, even when I'm not talking about something specifically skeptical. You know, skeptical. So... Um, but tonight, as I was started saying, uh, this is this is a week that's kind of a sad week for for the skeptical movement, for people that are uh, uh, interested in skepticism and, and critical thinking and science and all that. It's 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 been uh, a sad week, um, not super sad, but sad. And why isn't well? What happened? Um, the amazing Randy James Randy died this past week. I believe it was on Tuesday. And according to the JREF, the James Randi Educational Foundation, the statement released from them said that it, he died from age-related causes. Well, he was 92 years old, so that's why, I mean, it's sad that he's gone, but he was 92, and he, that's a pretty good run. We had here in the Twin Cities a local sports writer that's uh, pretty well-known nationally, but not not a household name nationally, but among sports writers, this guy is known, and his name was Sid Hartman. He also died this past week, uh, or last weekend or something. Uh, he was 100 years old, and he was, he, the, he had a column printed in the paper, the, the Star Tribune, where he, for whom, uh, for which he had written columns for, for, for decades, uh, he had a column the day it was announced that he died. <laughs> I think it was last Sunday. I think that was. Uh, I think that's when it happened. And it's, uh, I posted something on Facebook, and uh, a Facebook friends said about Sid Hartman. Says, well, he outlived the warranty, and that we can say about James Randi. He outlived the warranty. So I thought I'd uh, spend a little time talking about James Randi um, on the show. And uh, hopefully that's okay. I, I can remember back in the earlier days of, of uh, Talk Radio, back 10 years ago, even before I started doing the show, James Randi, by a lot of the hosts of the Talk shows at the time, you know, they, it's kind of ugh, poo pooed. They put their nose up at him. Oh, Randy. Well, 
That's because he just didn't accept their line of bullshit. <laughs> I sorry, neither did I. Uh, but Randy was very um, he was very public about it. Uh, he, Randy started his his career in entertainment as a magician, or as he preferred to be called, a conjurer, and an escape artist. And uh, he was he got to be you know, pretty famous doing that. Uh, one of his big tricks uh, that he had done was to um, um, get himself out of a straitjacket while being suspended, hanging upside down uh, over Niagara Falls. That's something he did. And I think that uh, while well, he, he followed very much in the footsteps of one of his heroes in the field of magic and escapery, escapery? <laughs> escape artistry, uh, Harry Houdini. Who is probably the world's most famous magician? You know, he's one of—he's like the Babe Ruth of magic. If you walk up to somebody who doesn't follow baseball, chances are pretty good if you ask them, name a baseball player, they'll come up with Babe Ruth. You know, it might have been better a few years ago, but still, I think chances are pretty good they'll say Babe Ruth. If you walk up to somebody who doesn't really know much about magic, the world of magic and magicians and that kind of thing, ask them to name a world-famous magician, and I. Chances are pretty good they'll say Harry Houdini. There might be others they might say, but I think Houdini is going to be, you know, a, a pretty safe bet that somebody would name him. And that's because he was, you know, he's synonymous with the world of magic and escape uh, artistry. And but also Houdini, at some point in his career, began to to. Um, really be bothered by at the time it was spiritualism and seances and and spirit mediums and these these people and he was seeing what he saw you know, being a with a background with a, uh, as being a magician he could see tricks being done and so he started on a crusade of exposing the fakes and Randy did the same thing. He got to a point in his career. I believe I heard him say in one interview that you know his body wasn't able to do the escape stuff as well as it used to be. You know, we all get older, and uh, he, you know, he started to he, he too was seeing the um, the exploitation of, of of the gullible get their money uh, mainly. Uh, he began seeing that and thought the, there was something he needed to do to shine the light of skepticism uh, on that. And he began to do very similar stuff to what Houdini had done. He started to explain these tricks that are done. Now, he would say that he couldn't say for certain that these were the same tricks that these people were doing, the ones he would show. But he said, I can produce the same effects that these people are doing and I'm not tapping into the supernatural. I'm not tapping into the paranormal. Some power outside of, uh, of me. He says these are just tricks that he's learned uh, and mastered as part of his uh, being a magician or a conjurer. And, and uh, he... Uh, so I, I thought I'd go over some of his... Uh, a few of his big hits... Uh, I have just fairly recently talked about uh, the Uri Geller uh, um, um, moment that Randy had in his career. In fact, it was not just one moment. It was a long series of moments with Uri Geller. 
um, what we're learning in uh, the biographies that have come about uh, about Randy, saying you know he he didn't graduate high school, but he was you know considered a genius. He won the MacArthur Genius Grant, uh, and Randy had said that much of the money that he got from that grant went to paying <laughs> for legal fees uh, with the many lawsuits that uh, that uh, Uri Geller. Um, uh, put against Randy because Randy was out there saying, "Well, you know, I can bend spoons too, and I'm not saying I'm doing it with my mind." And so, so there was. I did talk about it. it there was the big show, uh, the Tonight Show, with hosted by Johnny Carson. It was a friend of Randy's. Johnny Carson had Ari Geller on as a guest. Now Johnny, who has a background in magic himself, or at least he did when he was alive, uh, he he saw some. Of the same kind of trickery, so he he consulted with Randy. Says, "How can what can we do to put some controls on this? What can we do?" And Randy's uh, Randy said, "Don't let Uri Geller or any of his people have any contact with the props that you're going to have him use to show his tricks. Avoid doing that." And that control just flummoxed Geller. He came out on he only when he walked on stage. And saw the table set up with all these little things, all the little doodads of the tricks that he would do. And he did like half a dozen tricks. He made a career out of half a dozen tricks. And he failed utterly. But did that he did that destroy his career as a as a 70s spoon-bending sensation? No. He got booked onto the Merv Griffin show. Merv Griffin didn't put the same kinds of controls in. And then, as I talked about earlier, uh, either this month or late last month, on this show... Uh, he ended up getting himself uh, a guest appearance in a Marvel comic book, uh, the Daredevil title, or Daredevil title. Uh, and I talked about that previously. So he didn't, he didn't end Uri Geller, Randy, but he dinged him quite a bit. He even wrote a book about Uri Geller. Uh, the other hit to talk about, and I know I've talked about this on the show before, is uh, the uh, TV evangelist Peter Popoff. This was in the 80s. Uh, Peter Popoff was getting pretty popular on his, uh, his ministry. He'd have all these people come into these big arena uh, places and he'd, uh, he'd, uh, you know, f- he'd faith heal the, the, the sick. Uh, it was always you know, something that you couldn't really see. I mean, if, if somebody was missing a leg, he didn't grow back a leg for them. He didn't miracle that out of them. Uh, he, what Popoff would do was he'd, he'd stand in front of his, this congregation and he'd start calling out people's names, full names, and he'd, their address, and he'd, and he'd say, you've got cancer of the stomach! He had a really annoying voice. Shrill, grating voice. And, uh, and he would you know, he could be getting this information seemingly from God or angels or something, you know, something supernatural like that. At least that's what he wanted his congregation to believe, and the money would pour into him. Uh, according to Randy, he, the guy was making $4 million a year doing this. Not a bad chunk of money, even, you know, especially in the 1980s. So he's, he's doing this, and well, Randy started to investigate the guy. He had a team of people help him out. And they, I think at some point, somebody noticed he was wearing an earpiece, and they thought, oh, is he, uh, is he getting radio signals? 
And so they started checking the frequencies, and lo and behold, they found the voice, not of God, but of Peter Popoff's wife, who was reading information off of uh, cards that were filled out by the faithful before the events. So she'd read off their names, their addresses, what ailments they had, what their worries were, what they wanted God to help them with. And Popoff would, he'd just, he'd just throw all this stuff out there and he'd, he'd con them. At least that's what it seemed to be happening. You know, use Occam's razor, what do you think is really happening? He's getting the voices from beyond or he's getting them from his wife. And, and, and so Randy exposed this on the Carson show, or the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, as well. This time, Randy was on the show to talk about the investigation. And uh, uh, it did ding pop off pretty well. He did uh, his, his ministries uh, declared bankruptcy not long after that because he lost a lot of audience. But as Randy put it, in those, and Randy was the first person I heard to use this phrase, the unsinkable rubber duck. Like an unsinkable rubber duck, Popoff popped up again. Uh, this time he, you know, it was, it was several years later, but this time he's on late night at, uh, on television uh, and doing these infomercials where he, he's not healing your illnesses, he's healing your financial difficulties. So you just send away for this spring water and give him lots and lots of money and God will give you a lot of money. So, you know, he's still at it. He's just found a different tack. It's still a, lot, a line of bullshit, and I'm sure he's making money again. Uh, there are other things. There's a couple other hits I'm going to talk about and a little bit else about uh, Randy, but that's just going to have to wait until after I take my first break. So you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I shall return. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z Talk Radio. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Don't just take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. <laughs> We're scaring up a good time on your favorite radio station. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome 
Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'm talking about James Randi, who had died earlier this week at the age of 92. Uh, let's see, I was talking about some of his uh, greatest hits as far as uh, his a- skeptical ap- activism went. And, I mean, and he had a lot of great hits. But these, I, I picked four to give a closer look to. Um, so we got uh, uh, two... Um, probable con men that uh, that Randy exposed to the world, or at least helped to expose to the world, uh, didn't necessarily stop them completely, but he had a hand in uh, making uh, uh, the world realize what these guys were probably doing. Uh, and, but he did other things, um, such as uh, there was this project called Project or the Alpha Project. The Alpha Project was uh, something that uh, Randy put together in order to demonstrate to scientists that scientists can be fooled. They might think they're smart and educated and, and that they understand you can't fool a scientist or something. They, 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 some of them had that certain amount of arrogance and not realizing that they could be fooled. And there were those you know, psychologists and parapsychologists that were, they were testing for psychic ability. And uh, Randy uh, saw an opportunity to try this project, an experiment of his own, to see what would happen. And so he ended up uh, 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 recruiting a couple young men. Uh, Steve Shaw later became known as uh, Banachek, who was, a, who was a magician, and Mike Edwards. And he gets these two young fellas to apply to, uh, there was this university that was looking for psychics to go in and, and, and apply to be subjects of, this, uh, of these testings, the study. And these kids were good at, uh, you know, bending spoons and doing these tricks and all. They were good at this kind of stuff. They, they had skills. And Randy would help coach them along as this took place. And it took place over a long period of time, something like two, three years. And, um, and these kids were just uh, amazing as far as the scientists were concerned. They just were, these, this is the real deal. These kids are just incredible. They, 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 these, it's, a, it's, it's, it's stupendous what they're seeing. And, I mean, and, and they were even kind of being, you know, befriending the kids. The kids, I think, would do a, have dinner over at the houses of some of these scientists that were studying them and, and, and all that. Well, it went on for quite some time. And, uh, Randy did have a rule. I, I, I hope I'm right in this. I think he did tell the two of them, if, if the people testing you ever ask if you're doing tricks, if you're cheating, you have to be honest and say yes. And they never did ask. They just accepted on face value everything that the kids were doing. And, and, just, and believing that this was coming from some you know, supernatural power, some paranormal abilities. Until eventually, Randy had a press conference, and uh, the two young fellows are there with him, and and he was asking these young fellows about how it was that they were doing these feats. What was what do you have to say? How how are these? How were you able to do this? And uh, did you have a method or something? And the, yes, we cheated, and it shocked 
them. And it, Randy did get in a little hot water for that because he was practicing deception. But he was, you know, he on that side and these two kids, uh, the, they were the con men. Because I think Randy was, an, uh, you know, uh, they didn't realize there was a connection between the two kids and Randy, but Randy was working uh, as an, in an advisory capacity with these scientists, saying, you know, giving them um, advice on how to, you know, how to put in proper controls and stuff like that to keep the, uh, to keep the subjects from cheating. But uh, so there was some pushback, even in the skeptical community. Some eyebrows were raised, thinking, eh, "Is that the right way to go about it?" But he did expose the idea to these scientists that just because you're well educated, just because you're experts in a certain line of science and or or, or whatnot, doesn't mean you can't be fooled. And he demonstrated that they could be fooled. He also did. Uh, a demonstration that the the news media can be fooled, and that you know exposing a certain amount of uh, uh, gullibility on the side of the news media or a, a, a laziness in their journalistic integrity. Uh, he he showed, and, and this it, it took place in Australia, and it was uh, Carlos. Now this happened, I think, in the eighties as well. Um, as I think Project Alpha was in the 80s, late 70s into the 80s, and then Carlos was in the 80s. And that was a time period where channeling was the big deal. Channeling was the, big, was the, the, the paranormal du jour. This, is, this was the, getting a lot of attention. There was, uh, what's her name, Jay-Z Knight, who was channeling the spirit of a, some earth spirit named Ramtha, something like that. And it's just, you know, she just do some play acting and she put on an accent and all this kind of crap. That the people channeling uh, 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 entities from uh, ancient Greek, Greece and they can't speak Greek. They, but they get an accent. They, you know, they, they channel old French people from centuries past. Uh, and, and, but they don't speak French. You know, it's like, come on. Uh, so, uh, Randy got involved with a uh, performance artist named Jose Alvarez, who played this character, Carlos. They, they came up with Carlos. And they, they did a little press conference uh, or press uh, PR package to send to news organizations in Australia. Uh, I believe one news organization was working with Randy to see what would happen. I think that's the, the how the story goes. But nevertheless, there was this huge push um, about this Carlos is coming to Australia. And they sold out some arena, and uh, which but they didn't make any money. They made sure that the money, that the, no money came to Randy or Carlos. And, and just, they, I'll, I'll link to stuff on the show notes. Go to dimland.com and check out the show notes and it'll link to a, a bigger story or a more full detailed story of all these things I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about. But uh, this Carlos came to the attention. They uh, Randy hire, uh, hired Carlo, uh, hired, uh, Jose Alvarez and another fellow to play Carlos's manager. And so um, 
so Jose would uh, there was a there was a bit of uh, news footage uh, interview where a reporter's talking to Jose Alvarez who was saying that he could channel Carlos and there was a nurse there to check and it's it was, there was uh, something that Carlos could do would be to stop Jose's uh, heart from beating so the nurse is checking the pulse and she's felt in, in and at some point uh, Alvarez's pulse stops as, as he's seemingly going into a trance he says, oh, there's no pulse. The pulse has stopped. And almost immediately, he would explode into Carlos. Very theatrical, very, you know, uh, mannered in his movements and, and, you know, and the way he would talk and all this kind of stuff. And there's a trick to stopping your, your, your pulse in your arm. You take a ping pong ball and you put it in your armpit and you squeeze your arm tight. And that will block off the, the, the artery to your your arm, which will stop the pulse in your wrist. And so the nurse sees that, feels that go away, and she's oh. And then, you know, and the news media in Australia gobbled it up until Randy had a news conference and exposed that this is all a hoax. And again, he got some pushback as, hey, you're being deceptive and all that kind of stuff. He's putting on the con. But he also was demonstrating the gullibleness the journalistic laziness of the news media when it comes to something like this. They always have this, you know, this. there's two tiers to the news uh, media, it seems, that the, you know, when they report on politics and war and crime and that kind of stuff, it's very serious and they, they dig into it and they, they, they're very journalistic. But when they start, uh, you know, this is the time of year, we're in the month of October, this is the time of year where... You know, you start seeing news uh, stories about the most haunted place in the Twin Cities or wherever you live. You know, you start seeing that kind of crap. And it's just fluff reports where they take their journalistic integrity hats off and just say, oh, oh isn't that interesting? Oh, wow, well, what do you think? Oh, isn't that interesting? You be the judge. Oh, wow. It's just, you know. So those are four things. And he's done a lot more things. He's written books. Which, by the way, you should get Flim Flam. That's a book he's written, which is sort of a general overview of skepticism and, and, and chicanery and con artists and, and their methods and such. It's a really good book. You should have that. Every skeptic should have Flim Flam on their, sh on their shelves. Uh, he's written other books about Nostradamus and Uri Geller and faith healers. And, and he's written articles for numerous magazines. He had a, he had a regular column in Skeptic Magazine called Twas Brillig uh, that he had done for quite a long time. And he's given talks. Uh, he's, he's given a talk about homeopathy, or at least part of the talk was homeopathy. That's the medicine where the active ingredient is been so, it, it, it has been diluted out of the medicine. They just keep mixing water in and water and water in until there's not a molecule of the active ingredient in the medicine. And then that means it's really powerful somehow. And he took a whole bottle. He would start his talk with by downing a whole bottle of homeopathic sleeping pills, and he wouldn't even yawn. If you'd done that with actual sleeping pills, you end up in a hospital. So it's... He, that's the stuff he's done. He's even been on an episode of Happy Days, which is kind of cringeworthy, but still, because I hate the show Happy Days. The first couple seasons, fine, but after that, it just went downhill real fast. Even before they jumped the shark, I just I couldn't stand it. It became the Fonzie show, and it's just, yeah. 
But uh, anyway, that's just me, though. Um, and let's see. Uh, he's had a far-reaching um, influence on skeptics and others. And, and uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, uh, he tweeted after um, it was announced that Randy had died. This is quite simply. He, he just said, and he said this often on his podcast, that if there was no James Randy, there would be no Penn and Teller. It's just that simple. So, um, now I've never got to meet the man. Uh, never did. He's, uh, he, I, I mentioned that he had the James Randi Educational Foundation, and they uh, organized uh, skeptical conventions. They were always out in Las Vegas, uh, or almost always, and uh, called T The Amazing Meeting, uh, or TAM, and I was never able to get out to him. But I have a friend who is a fellow skeptic. He went out one year. I think he's been to a couple of them, but he went out one year, and uh, I think I might have told him before he went. Says, "Hey, say hi to James. Say hi to Randy for me." And I think, uh, I think that might have been a thing. And then I got in the mail from from my friend Chris. He sends this. It's a, it was a, a autographed picture of James Randy. Randy had autographed it to Jim Fitzsimmons, and in parentheses, Doctor Dim, James Randy. And it's it's great. I mean, for for a moment, you know, James Randy. You know, I I was somebody that that became known to him at least just for a moment. There's this guy that does this thing on the internet with a paranormal radio station where he's the skeptic and goes by Doctor Dim, something like that. That's I found that to be cool that I have that, and of course I have to mention the million dollar prize. He had uh, he you know, the James Randi Education Foundation had a million dollar prize to any person who could prove under test conditions. The, their their paranormal abilities, uh, and both parties, the the people doing the testing, the person be, making the challenge, you know, trying to get the money, both settled on what would be a fair test of their abilities. Both agreed to the to the test, and no one has ever won the million dollar prize. Started out I think as a thousand dollars, and it grew until um, you know a generous uh, donor. Um, gave him gave a million dollars here. Make it a million dollars, and so the JREF would would have the interest from the the million dollars to help run the organization. But the million dollars was there, and there were people that said, "Oh, it's probably not there." But but Randy would show him the financial papers and say, "It's there." You know, he'd show him his show him his books, uh, and you know, unlike a certain president <clears throat> when it comes to tax returns. But nevertheless, he do that. And no one's ever been able to claim it. And then there were those that said, oh, well, it's, it's, it's rigged so that nobody can ever win it. Well, yeah, it's rigged so that nobody can cheat. <laughs> if they have to cheat to win it, you know, they should be able to do what they say they can do. They should be able to do it under test conditions. If this thing was existed, they should be able to do it. But, well, it doesn't work that way, they say. Oh, well, too bad. So uh, he's dead at 92. I mean, what a life. What a legacy. What an amazing man! All right, where am I at my time schedule here? Oh, I just I'm just in time for my next break. You are listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Fitzsimmons. Come, uh, just sit tight. I'll be back.
You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. This is Tangina. You're gonna give me whiplash looking up there, too. I've cleaned many houses, and I don't know what it is that hovers over Dr. Dim's house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take his wallet away from him. And I think what we might be dealing with is the beast. Hold on. Did you just say that Dr. Dim doesn't believe in poltergeists, tiny fortune tellers, or the beast? Well, holy sh! Why the didn't somebody tell me? Anyway, Dr. Dim's a skeptic. He'll be right back on ztalkradio.com. I still think this house is clean. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. (laughs) Play a penny snake in the cauldron, boil and bake. I have newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like hellbroth boil and bubble, this brew be ye only salvation, from your favorite radio station. <laughs> You're listening to z And welcome back. To Dimland Radio here in the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, um, since we're so close to Halloween, and I uh, hate to break this news to you, I won't be doing a show Halloween weekend. I won't be doing a show next week. Uh, we're taking our son down to a college, uh, and uh, we're just I'm just not going to have time to do a show. So, uh, you know. See, you know, he's he's getting to that age where we start start looking at colleges. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> so I figured uh, let's spend the last segment of the show recommending some horror movies to you. Um, I'll, I'm gonna. There's a couple new ones, or newer ones, and one of the older ones, one of my all-time favorites, uh, to to recommend to you. Uh, I do have uh, a bit of a problem with one of them, uh, which I'll discuss. A couple problems with it. But doesn't mean it's not good. I'll discuss that when I get to it. Uh, start with an old favorite of mine, and I know I've talked about it before on this show. And it is the 1973 film, 
The Legend of Hell House. Just watched it again the other night. Uh, in fact, last night <laughs> I watched it. Uh, and it is, um, it's creepy, it's atmospheric, uh, it's, it, it, it does the less is more kind of thing. You don't actually see too much happening, there's little effects happening here and there. You hear the voices of ghosts and that, that in there. But it's, uh, it's a story of uh, four investigators that uh, are hired to go to the what's called the Belasco House. It was owned by Emmerich Belasco, some rich, uh, eccentric rich dude that was into sexual deviancy. Um, I guess the book it's based on, written by Richard Matheson, who also did the screenplay for the movie, uh, is very sexual. I shouldn't say I guess, I know, because I've read it. Uh, it's toned down a bit for the film. It is a PG-rated film, so it's toned down quite a bit from what the book has. But there is that, you know, sexual aspect to it. Uh, and and it's anyway. So these four investigators are sent to determine if there's life after death. Uh, there's two psychics, and a scientist, and the scientist's assistant, who happens to be this, his wife. And they they investigate this this scary house, and it's really cool. Uh, I remember watching it. It would be on TV in the afternoons back when I was a kid, and it just was creepy. It's just it's creepy and it's well done. And uh, it stars Roddy McDowell as one of the psychics, and he does a terrific job. Uh, Gail Honeycutt plays the wife of the uh, scientist, who's played by Clive Ravel, and Pamela Franklin plays the other psychic that's that is employed in the house. And it's 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 really atmospheric. Uh, it's got some cool electronic type music uh, for the score, um, and there's a my favorite moment happens fairly early in the film. They they've just arrived at the house. They have they have four or five days to determine this, and they they go in there uh, on so like December twentieth, and they have till the twenty fourth to complete their investigation. And uh, when they get into the house. Uh, the 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 uh, the psychic played by Pamela Franklin hears a voice, and she's she finds her way over to this old record player, and they play this record, and the record that that you hear there's a uh, there's a message on there from Emmerich Belasco, two people visiting his house, and you know, I hope you find the answers you seek here. That's part of what he says. He's welcome to my house, and this was the voice she was hearing. And it's a great moment. It's it, it really eerie. There's a there's a reaction that uh, Roddy McDowell has. Uh, there's an observation he points out. I think is is pretty cool. And it's always kind of you know given a nice chill uh, when you watch that bit. It's just like yeah, let's yeah think about that. So it's 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 really good. It's 70s, so it has some 70sness to it. But uh, it's it's still pretty good. It's not unlike an earlier a film that came out, I guess, ten years earlier, uh, called uh, The Haunting, which uh, I'm trying to think of who the woman is that stars in that. Uh, I can't think of her name now. Julia, Julie Mills, Julia Mills. Oh boy, I might be wrong there. Anyway, uh, I've only seen that movie once, and that movie is pretty good too. It's got to, it does the less is more kind of stuff uses it suggests the stuff that's going on without actually showing everything, uh, which is which is good. Um, I wish I could think of what her name is. Uh, okay, that's 
That's that one. Uh, also, just this past week, in fact, it was the first of a double feature of horror films that I watched. I watched The Legend of Hell House after it. Is the movie Us, which came out in 2019. It's, it is a director, writer, Jordan Peele's follow-up to the very successful Get Out. And I guess Us did pretty well, too, in the theaters. And I, I really liked it. Uh, it's hard to talk about exactly what this is, but um, it's, a, it's a family of four. Uh, mom, dad, uh, uh, sister, brother. Uh, they're going out to their summer home. And the, uh, and and the mother had an experience as a child, which we see at the beginning in 1986. She had this this experience where she got she went to an amusement park with her parents, and she she got separated. You know, she wandered away from the parents and ended up inside a uh, uh, hall of mural, uh, mir- mirrors, and something she saw in there uh, startled her, and she was a changed child after that moment, once they found her, they, 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 they showed that she had, there was family therapy, the parents were trying to find out how to get their little girl back, and, you know, there's something changed in her. Well, she grows up, marries a fellow, has a couple of kids, and they go to this summer house, and, um, something starts to happen, <laughs> Uh, there's there's one evening, uh, the young their son, who's the youngest in the family, says there are people standing in the driveway, or standing outside the house. There are people, out, and so the dad, being a you know big fellow, you know, looks out the door, and there's these four people standing at the end of the driveway. You can't really see them, but it's a it's a it's an adult, uh, male and and female, and ch- you know you know kids male and female. You just see them pretty much in silhouette, just standing in the driveway. Pretty creepy. And then it goes from there. Uh, it's, it's a fairly violent film. Uh, it does, it, it, it steps up to the, the threshold of being pretty gory, but it doesn't really get too gory. There, there's the suggestions of stuff happening it's quick. There's a, a certain, there is a rather jarring moment, a uh, couple moments of violence that you see from uh, an unexpected uh, member of the family to, to display this kind of violence, uh, which is a bit disturbing, but when you take in the whole movie of what's going on, kind of makes sense um, that that would happen. My favorite part of it is, is, well, that creepy moment of the family standing in the, in the driveway. That's, that's a great moment. It's just, it's just really creepy. But my favorite a character in the movie is the dad. Because he's such a dad. <laughs> he's just a dad. He makes dad jokes. He's got the dad vibe going. This is a dad. <laughs> and I really liked him. I thought he was, I thought he was great. Uh, his character's name is Gabe. And uh, I thought he was pretty good. Um, now here's the other one. Uh, this was uh, um, this was also released last year, 2019, in the before times, and it's called Midsummer. And it's it's a uh, it, it's a horror film in the vein of The Wicker Man, in that it's a, an isolated community that has some strange practices. 
and uh, uh, this community is in Sweden, and uh, it's it's they're they're you know in you know up close to the Arctic Circle. So in, in the sum in the middle of summer they don't get much of night. The sun never quite goes down, and there it's it's a commune that uh, you know everybody. Uh, you know, live. They live communally. There's a, this place. The building in which they sleep is just this large building with beds, two floors, and it's a big, big open atrium kind of feel to it. Uh, and there's no, you know, no privacy. It's just there's the beds, and and a lot of their time is spent outdoors. And what they're they're having a uh, a special celebration. Uh, of, of rituals that takes place every 90 years and we meet these four kids that are college students uh, working on their thesis theses uh, one of uh, two of them are anthropologists and they're very fascinated about this commute this commune and they they go to school with this this kid that's from there from this commune, and he wants to invite them back. You know, come with me this summer for, uh, to to this. You'll love it. It'll be great. I'd love to have you guys come. So they all go. Um, there's a there's a tragic event that happens to this. There's a female. Uh, uh, the lead char character is her name is Danny. She has a tragedy happen to her um, that is pretty rough. And the actress, uh, I guess her name is uh, Florence Pugh. <laughs> P-U-G-H. I don't know how you say it. Pug? Pug? Pew? I, I don't know how you say it. I'm, I, I apologize. Uh, she's really good. And uh, and she she has a boyfriend where their relationship is strained. She feels she's losing him. But because of this particular terribly tragic event that takes place, he did want to get out of the relationship, but he can't get out. And... She ends up coming along with them to this on this on this trip, and you know, and they get there, and it's all you know, peace and love, Swedish hippies, all this kind of thing. But stuff begins to happen, uh, and yeah, <laughs> there's some graphicness in this, uh, and, and and that you should be aware of, uh, you know, and but otherwise it's. You see, I have a problem with it, though. I have a, uh, a couple problems. One is there's a tree that that is in the middle of this. It's just an open area. There's a few buildings, but most, at least during this celebration that they're doing, this once in ninety years celebration that they have, uh, everybody's outside most of the time. There's some inside activities where they're cooking or baking or something like that, but otherwise it's they're 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 outside. And uh, one of the characters, one of the kids that goes there, he has to go pee, so he picks what turns out to be a sacred tree that's lying across the ground, just in the middle of the of the commune, and he just goes up and pees there. And it's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? How dumb are you? How weird are you? Has it been demonstrated since you've been there that people just pee wherever they want? Don't they have an outhouse area? It's just, it's to me, it was just, eh. that wasn't too bad. But the thing that I, when it was over, I was talking to my wife about it and her son who had seen the movie before. I said, I just, you know, there was something that really bugged me, and that was, 
the the first day of ritual in this place where there's something is going to happen the, the there's a one of the students one of the outsiders who is an anthropologist is very focused and very intense in his studies of the of, of societies and he wants to study this one um he seems to know what is going to happen the next day but the way he reacts it makes you think at least made me think it would go a different way than it did well that first day's ritual the first major ritual they do involves two uh, older members of the of the community they're, they're they're each 72 years old and something happens and I'm not going to give away what happens but it's fairly shocking and the outsiders who had brought in the camp, these four kids, and there were two others that were brought in, are just, of course, shocked when they witness what happens. And, you know, one of the people that brought the outsiders in is apologizing to the two other outsiders that aren't part of the main four, that they are particularly upset by it, and you see it apologizes for not warning them properly. And then there's the, uh, and then there's the leader of their this group of people, a woman named Siv, tries to explain this is a beautiful thing, this is something that, you know, that everybody was consenting, and, and this is something that, you know, is what we do. But the thing is, I'm trying not to give it away, <laughs> but once these kids from the outside had witnessed this, if I put myself in this position, if I was among them, after witnessing what happens, I would be turning to I would be going to the the kid that brought them there, the, the this wonderful Swedish fellow named Pell who brought these kids there. I would have gone to him and said, "We're not leaving alive, are we? We're not we're either staying here for the rest of our lives or you you guys are going to kill us." Because what we've just seen, you don't want to chance us going into the outside world and saying to the Swedish authorities, "Hey, we saw this." And they'll come and investigate. There's no way you're letting us leave alive. That was one thing that that reaction didn't happen. They were shocked. They were stunned. And 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 the, the two that weren't part of the main group, they were uh, 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 enraged. But <laughs> the four were managed to... Those two wanted to leave. But the four were managed to, to say, well, you know, they shrugged it off and they stuck around. I had a hard time with that one. Hopefully that won't bother you in the movie. It's really good. So check out uh, check out uh, Legend of Hell House and and Us and Midsommar. They're all really good. Uh, and they're not perfect films, but they're all really good. I, I think I do have time to squeeze in to just do a, a quick squeeze in of one of these. And now, it's time for a Dimland Radio Pedantic Moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. I do not like reality TV shows. And there's one main reason I don't like reality TV shows. And that's the, uh, I've heard it called this, or I, I think it's called this, the confessional portions. I don't know if that's the actual term for it, but it's it's those 
constantly interrupting the whatever the show is, whatever activities are taking place, to talk to one of the people. So that person will talk to the camera about what they're thinking, how they're feeling, what's going on, how much they don't like this person, how terrible this is, and oh my, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, I can't stand that. It's the part. It's just, I, it's, it's, I almost watched uh, a season of Celebrity Apprentice because Pendulette was on it and Adam Carolla was on it. And I was fans of both of theirs. They were talking about it on their respective uh, podcasts, and I thought, well, this might be interesting. So I, I, did, I missed it when it was on the TV, but I went online, brought up the NBC website, and started watching it, and I got about 10 minutes in, and about three or four of those confessionals, and I realized, that's why I don't watch these shows. I don't like that. I don't care. I don't want, you know, it's just like, I don't want to hear it. So I don't watch them. Okay. That's why I, that's the main reason I don't. And I never did watch them until I met my wife. <laughs> and my wife liked them. And I, I can't say that I didn't get drawn into some of these. Like the, the Amazing Race wasn't too bad as far as uh, the, a reality TV show goes. Uh, Survivor had its moments of interest, but still there was constant, oh, she was just so mean to me. And oh, he's such a jerk. And I'm like, ugh. ugh. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, form an alliance with these two, and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stab them in the back, and I'm gonna, you know, it's like I don't care. <laughs> it's just not for me. Uh, and Amy has gone back and forth on watching them and not watching them and watching them and watching them, not watching them. Well, she's gone back to where watching Big Brother. Now, if you don't know what Big Brother is, they get about I don't know a dozen people uh, to, and they throw them into this house that's specially built as a big studio house so there's cameras all over the place and they have these people do activities so that somebody gets head of household and then they can nominate two people to put on the block and uh, then the people decide whether they stay or go and if they kick them out of the house they get kicked out and the last one remaining in the house wins 50 bucks or whatever it is and they're doing one of these during the age of covid so I'm certain that all the people, once they've auditioned and picked to who's going to go in there, these will be interesting people. Once they're all picked, I'm sure they're all tested for the COVID. If anybody tests positive, you're out of here. But, you know, I'm sure they're all tested. They test negative. They throw them into the house, and they're quarantined within this house. They don't leave. They're in there. And I'm sure they may even do testing periodically while they're still all in the house just to make sure everybody's safe. But they are quarantine from the world the host of the show a woman named julie chen she's free to be out in the outside world she's out there now hopefully she's doing social distancing wearing masks washing her hands being careful and i'm sure she's being tested too so but she hosts the show and so whenever anybody gets kicked out of the house it, you know, they walk out of the house and right into the interview, the big interview studio with Julie Chen. Now, they have the distancing going on. They're seated well apart from each other. But the people that are kicked out of the house, before they walk out, they put on a mask. And they walk out and they sit down and they talk with Julie Chen, who is not wearing a mask. We wear the mask to protect others. Sure, it protects us a little bit, but we wear the mask to keep the virus that might be inside of us from going out and getting into someone else. Well, these people have been tested before they went in. 
They've been quarantined inside this house for weeks. Why are they putting on the mask and Julie's not putting it on? Hmm? When you get an answer for that, uh, let me know. I, I think it's probably because of, you know, well, we don't want to cover up Julie Chen's face. She's the host of the show, right? Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, as I always say, be skeptical and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Uh, please be patient. Um, wash your hands. Social distance. Wear a mask. Stay home. Stay safe. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com, and I'm your host. This is saying happy uh, Halloween, and uh, remember to sleep with the lights off. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm, I'm going, going to hell. hell.